This episode of the Understable Podcast is brought to you by Boom Disc Golf and Anchor.fm. Boom Disc Golf, the place to get your disc golf hats and clothing. Check out their Facebook page, Boom Clothing, B-O-O-O-M. Boom Clothing, go get yourself a Boom hat, best hats in the market. And we're back with episode 6 of the Understable Podcast. This week, from Team Innova, we are featuring Christine Jennings. Welcome to the show, Christine. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, so first thing, as you know, Roy mentioned a few episodes ago, we just want to start off with how did you get started playing disc golf? Oh, so in 2016, I was dating a guy who had played disc golf practically his whole life, and I had no idea what it was. I vaguely remember seeing baskets at Fairborn because I used to live in that area, and when I go to that park, I kind of saw the baskets, but I didn't really think anything of it. And so he kind of showed me like what he does and showed me his bag. And I'm like, okay, like you take a disc and you throw it. At the time, I was like, oh, it's just like a frisbee. So I actually like walked a course with him one time. He like asked me if I wanted to go. I said, sure. So I went to a course with him, and he proceeded to take his whole bag out of the car. And I'm like, wait, like I thought you took one disc. Like you picked the frisbee that you wanted for the day, and you went to go throw it. And he started to tell me how like each disc does something different. And I'm like, wow, this is very interesting. Like, I played sports my whole life. I ran track. I played volleyball. I did, like, gymnastics. Um, Very athletic. So it was very interesting to me, the things that these discs do. And so very soon after, I want to say, like, I probably walked with him for, like, three months or so because I was shy. And then finally, I'm like, okay, like, let me try this. And so I tried it out. And literally, that was, like, the beginning of 2016. I became a PGA member and played three sanctioned events before the end of 2016. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I picked it up real quick and just, like, wanted to go straight into it. So it was exciting. Well, yeah, and so, you know, people I'm sure a lot of people know, obviously, it's kind of a local podcast, and you're here from Dayton. Um, yeah. You know, but like you said, you started in 2016, so really only three, probably three years solid, three to four years solid of playing, and you're, mm-hmm. you know, in the top 25 in the world, according to Disc Golf Magazine that I read. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've actually pulled up your 2021 uh, stats so far. Mm-hmm. You've got, just this year alone, four wins, second place at Lexington Open, and third place at the Old City Open. With mm-hmm. your worst finish this year being um, Jonesboro at 15. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I just well, finished the Caesars Ford NADGT event today, and I was tied for 33rd in a wreck, so I'm, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you – so if we go back to kind of the beginning, when did you make that jump, or, or when did you decide that that's what you wanted to do is make the jump to get to a professional level? So, being a naturally competitive person, I wanted to become the best I could be at it. Like, I, I'm not a person that likes to just do something to just do it. Um, I, I like to draw 
kind of um, in my spare time. And that was something that I did a lot in high school. I actually was going to go to an art school um, because I got really good at drawing. And like that, I, I don't just doodle something because I want to doodle it. I'll always make it look as best I can before I put it down. So it's kind of the same thing. I, I never just, you know, not do it all the way. So knowing that already when I got my PDJ membership, I had already known at that point that I wanted to become better. But at that specific moment, when I got my PJ membership, I kind of, like, watched disc golf. And that was when, like, Jomez was kind of popular, but it wasn't nearly as big as it is now. So, like, I was watching Jomez and the video coverage that was out at the time. And just watching, like, Katrina Allen and Paige Pierce, like, the women, you know, they, they throw so far and they're so good and they score so well. And, you know, shooting under par and things like that. Um, was just kind of like a dream and then you know of course you kind of laugh because you're like oh like it would be cool to be sponsored one day and you know that was also just a dream and I just kept on practicing and like I played a lot Um, those three events that I played in 2016 was as a rec player and I quickly just moved up there isn't a lot of women that play anyways in this area so I kind of could move up freely (laughs) but I decided to just move up to advance and realizing there was no competition is when I started in 2017 and I told myself I'm gonna travel so I traveled as an amateur for a year and a half and as I played and filled my schedule in 2017 then I made it a goal in 2018 to go play like the really big important amateur events Um, so I ended up I, I believe it was in 2017 like I went to U.S. Women's I won U.S. Women's in the advanced field I think it was in 2018 I went to GBO Glass Blown Open um I won advanced in that um and then I wanted to make sure that I hit amateur world championships before I moved pro so I made that a goal uh, for 2018 because that was the last year that I had imagined that I was going to be an am and I took fourth in amateur world and that that was pretty good finish for me to tell myself you know what like you took top five I think I can go pro now (laughs) and so right after that I I went pro yeah absolutely so you know obviously I've only known you for probably a year I met you Mm -hmm. you and Barta putting league only before when I first picked up a disc yeah um and so I didn't even realize that you won you know U.S. women you know the U.S. women's am and GBO I, I didn't even know any of that (laughs) <laughs> so I was just I was just looking at Mark like oh oh <laughs> so that's that's awesome. So what was your first pro event? Um, I feel like Bloodstone was my first big event. So as an amateur, you can play in the professional field and stay an amateur as long as you don't take cash. So I think in 2018, I played Madisonville Open. And it was an A tier. And I I was an AM. I had not taken cash at the time. And I played open because there was no other amateur women's field, I don't think, at least in advance. So Holly Finley actually reached out to me because she was playing that event and asked me, like, hey, do you just want to move up? Because there wasn't a big FPO field anyways, and I was the only advanced woman. So I said, sure. I'm either going to donate my money or I might not. So I ended up winning that event, and I beat Holly Finley. But I didn't take cash. And so I kept my amateur status. So technically, you know, I had played open events before, but after, you know, I moved and made the official move to pro, I think like Ledgestone was my first one. So what did you, did you win? So what did you just get like, like a player's pack, like a, 
pay out like a plastic or discs or anything for women or nothing? I, so I'm very, I'm vague, vaguely forgetting the rules on that. I think if you play a B tier or below, you can take your payout as plastic. So if I would have won and that was a B tier, I would have gotten my money in plastic. But because it was an A tier, at that point, when you don't take cash, you forfeit it. And it goes to the next person. Gotcha. So I wanted to play Am World so bad to you know to kind of hit that milestone before I actually took the step to go pro. I forfeited that six hundred dollars that I was supposed to win and gave it to Holly. Well, I mean, but but I guess if you have Am Worlds as your goal, I mean, right? You know what I mean? But I I probably would have just said no. I'm pro now. Yeah, I, I spent that a little bit, um, a couple months left as an AM, um, so I, yeah, I forfeited that and moved on. That's awesome. So, so just, you know, from what I know you, and, and, and to be honest with you, and I think I told you this, is you've helped my game. So do you enjoy, because of the coaching that you actually do, and, and, and if nobody mm-hmm. knows, you're, you want to plug your YouTube channel, because I watch it, um, there's some, <laughs> there's actually some great tips, and you know, the, the thumb pressure tip that you put on there, like I randomly saw it, about mm-hmm. pinching the disc, was a huge help um, just here recently, actually. So kind of where you're at now, do you, do you, do you enjoy playing as much or, or coaching more, I guess I should say? You know, where are you at kind of now in your disc golf? Where are you? Because you do do a lot of coaching. I've, I've seen clinics for you. Um, uh-huh. You know, you have your tips online. Do you enjoy that stuff more and helping other people get better? Or are you still kind of wanting to win and, and kind of have that competitive mindset still? Yeah. Um, I'm, I want to say that I'm fortunate enough to be able to have best of both worlds because I'm not on the road full time. Um, you know, when I go out to play events, Bart and I always come back home. Like we're not in a van traveling, you know, gone all year. So because we have a home base, I can um, – I can do lessons here and or make content to be able to put it, you know, on YouTube or on my Instagram channel or wherever it is to be able to help people outside of Dayton as well. So uh, we recently actually just opened up our website, I want to say like in the last year, and we started offering private lessons with people. And aside from private lessons, I mean, obviously that kind of helps fund our tour and our efforts and things like that. But aside from that, you know, we still do um, free clinics for different groups of different people that reach out to us and different clubs and things like that. Um, I still like to, you know, give tips at our ladies league if I'm able to go. I actually have a free clinic coming up. I don't know if this podcast is going to air by then, but I have a free clinic on Wednesday this week. Um, for women specifically so hopefully we'll have a good turnout there but you know I try to give back as much as I can without also you know giving out free information all the time there's like a fine line right because I still want to have valuable information that people actually want um so I don't know I find joy in doing both I'm definitely still going to be competitive you know I'm really young I'm not um thinking about not touring anytime soon so yeah that's awesome yeah yeah I think the website I want to say it did launch in the last year, definitely during coronavirus, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the private lessons and different things. Um, I've been fortunate enough to get some of your free advice. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've actually watched the video 
that you posted about your first tournament and walking through some of that when you were playing a few holes at Sycamore. And I really enjoyed oh, that yeah. video, especially yeah, as somebody you. who struggles a lot with mental game and being mm -hmm. focused on playing my game and not worried about what everybody else in my card is doing and just exactly. mentally preparing. It's so hard for me. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody has a little different thing that they need to work on. You know, we do private lessons all the time, and Bart will tell me some things that people need, um, that people come to him for. And it's just kind of interesting how different things click for different people every time. Like, I've done, you know, 20 putting lessons, but every time it's something different that clicks for somebody. It's not always the same thing. So it's just very interesting to, to kind of see people, you know, get the aha moment. I, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a look at, so 2019, I guess, would be your 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 first on tour, mm -hmm. kind of traveling around as a pro. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously that was 2020 was kind of a weird year. So what was, so 2019, I, I do know that you played at Idlewild and I got just, you're on a featured card there on Joe Mez. <laughs> um, but what, where else did you kind of go or, or what was your kind of highlights of 2019 as, as a first year touring pro? So 2019, I set my expectations probably as low as you could ever set them because, it, you know, it's my first year as a professional. One goal I had for the end of the year was to get Rookie of the Year. So for those of you that don't know that, your first year that you decide to go professional, as long as you haven't taken cash prior um, to, I think the clock technically starts at Am World, and that's why I played this out the way I did. So you go to Am Worlds, and right after Am Worlds, if you decide that you want to start playing professionally, then that's kind of where your clock for Rookie of the Year starts. If at any time before that specific time of year you've taken cash, you're not eligible for Rookie of the Year. Um, so I knew I wanted to do this ahead of time, so I planned it all out accordingly. And when I started playing uh, all of these professional events, I practically knew I was donating my money most of the time because this was my first time like ever playing with actual professionals, right? So, like I've played with the top amateurs in the world or in the U.S. at least. And now jumping in and playing with Katrina Allen and playing with Paige Pierce, you know, and getting beat by these people, I definitely didn't tell myself like, oh, you're going to go out and beat them. Um, so having a positive mindset and keeping the expectations low was huge for me and I still you know I've definitely played as many as events as I could um, I played the disc golf pro tour events as they come around the midwest uh, made sure that I hit those to kind of get my name out there on the leaderboards when I could and yeah it was just kind of a, a really big learning experience um, I just wanted to absorb as much as I could in 2019 and then get that rookie of the year title which I did end up getting um, before I kind of pursued proceeded in my career yeah that's awesome i remember so i got my first membership 2020 when i well when i started playing and then the cat and then and then you get a disc golf magazine and i remember seeing you know rookie of the year which which my son colin thought was awesome because obviously we met you at putting league and yeah 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 and so that was that was that was pretty awesome <laughs> So then when you, when you go and you, you get Rookie of the Year, what, what are your goals? Like, I guess, you know, what is your mindset and then your goals kind of that next year, you know, before coronavirus obviously hit? Right. So uh, that was weird to me. So not the coronavirus thing, but just the mindset afterwards. So every year I had some sort of goal. So when I was an amateur, I just wanted to get better, and I set rating expectations for myself. So I think my very first rating was like, I don't know, it might have been just under 800. And so, you know, 
being like 850 rated was a goal and I would achieve that and then I'm like okay let's try for 880 I would hit that and 900 was kind of like an out of I don't know it was kind of a dream right just like everything else was (laughs) being 900 rated as a woman was like wow you know you kind of compete with the pros at that level um so I finally actually hit 900 and surprised myself on that one um but then it just kept climbing and you know you just keep practicing you keep getting better and you your mentality and your scramble game and like everything just kind of comes as you keep practicing and it polishes itself up and it just kind of kept climbing and so I'm like okay so next year I'm gonna go 920 and so then you know I've kind of actually been floating right around 920 there for a little bit but other than like ratings achievements and after I hit rookie of the year there was no other goal like I can keep setting my ratings expectations, but at that point, I'm setting my expectations almost too high for somebody that's not touring full-time. Like, normal FPO players that are on tour are ranging between 930 and 960. That's a good average. And for me to be sitting at 920 for somebody that's not touring full-time, I don't want to disappoint myself by setting that next rating goal. And so I'm just kind of at this point now where I'm going out and playing these events and just trying to, I'm just trying to better myself as a whole, you know, bettering my life, bettering my career, bettering my disc golf mentality, bettering my branding. Um, I, I just kind of stopped worrying about everything else and started worrying about myself. So, and that was, that was actually a question I wanted to ask. And, and since you kind of brought it up with branding. Mm-hmm. So if, if you look at disc golf, um, you know, either the men's or the women's, it, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, for, for big tournaments, it's kind of top heavy. I mean, you, you can kind of guess the, the five or six people that are going to mm-hmm. have a shot. So do you think, you know, because it's an individual sport for some of these disc golfers, you know, if, if you could give them some advice, it, I would assume making their brand and, and putting out more content to make mm-hmm. themselves stand apart would probably be mm-hmm. the way to be more successful for some. Definitely, yeah, just get on social media as much as you can, as obnoxious as that sounds, because, you know, now you have 10-year-olds that have (laughs) Instagram accounts with thousands of followers, Um, but just, you don't, people don't watch TV commercials anymore, people don't look at the newspaper ads anymore, like, everything's on social media, Um, people are literally getting in your brain from social media, and so you just kind of have to play that game, Um, I don't like to be on social media as much, but at the same time, social media has helped my life dramatically. Just by posting my life on Instagram um, kind of changed the trajectory of, like, the sponsors that I get and the products that I get from people, you know, to market their stuff. Um, you know, it just it's crazy what that does. And so definitely just, you know, take advantage of it and, and do you. You know, show the world what you're doing, and they'll love it. Yeah, because you're not you're not only sponsored by Innova, you have a couple of different other sponsors as well, right? Yeah, I actually just picked up another one <laughs> that was local. Um, I picked up LSW or LWS Accounting. They're in Springboro. He's actually my personal accountant for my taxes last year. Um, but yeah, I picked up an accounting firm. Who you and so you're on a team with with Ricky then? Because I saw a post on Facebook. That, yep, that was Ricky the first. Wine just got picked up too. Uh, that they put a LWS logo on the on his shirt. Yeah, and he got an ace. So I saw that. I was like, yeah. oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the, the aspects. Out, well, still disc golf related. So you're on our podcast, which is awesome. 
But you have a podcast in a very yeah. in a very good podcast. So can you Aww. tell us a little bit about that? So we have a a podcast that is on the Disc Golf Network. We um, Hannah Macbeth is the host. She is Paul Macbeth's wife, and I am the co-host. So Hannah Macbeth reached out to me. Um, she wanted to create content, create content specifically for FPO players, not necessarily like the listening people, but actually like talking about FPO because all the hype that all other podcasts and you know podcasts. Um, they they always talk about like the highlights of MPO, right? Because everyone wants to know what's going on with MPO, but there wasn't a lot of highlights on FPO. So Hannah McBeth reached out to me one day about a year ago and said, "Christine, I want you to be my co-host on a podcast." And I'm like, "A podcast? Like what the heck? I've never done this before. You know, I'm only ever comfortable, you know, showing my edited and or you know scripted videos that I post on Instagram or social media." Um, but she was asking me to do this thing where I'm putting my opinions out for like everyone to hear. Uh, and it was kind of uncomfortable, but I said, you know what, I'm just going to give it a shot. And it is called the party podcast. Um, like I said, it was on the disc golf network and we've been doing it for about a year now. And we actually just got news that we're going to expand. And so now you can watch a video podcast. Hannah and I just recorded our first video last week. And so that should be coming up, I want to say this week, um, on the Disc Golf Network. And now our audio podcasts are going to be out on all major platforms. So it's not going to be behind a paywall anymore. Oh, wow. So that's, yeah, that's awesome, actually. So it's, yeah. it's, so it's going to go out to everywhere. Yes, because before it was just our audio behind the Disc Golf Network subscription. So if you didn't have the subscription, you couldn't listen to it. But right. now the, the added value to the subscription is that you get to watch the video with us on it, and then you can just listen anywhere else. That's cool. Yeah, that was exciting to me. I'm like, we're finally out of Disc Golf Network. <laughs> so I always think it's cool that, that you're friends with Hannah McBeth because I'm a huge Paul McBeth fanboy, and so... <laughs> so like when I would see her just comment on your Facebook pages, I'm like, I kind of felt like since I know you, that I now know them as well. Like, <laughs> you know, kind of that six degrees of separation thing. I was like, Sweet. yeah. <laughs> so uh, speaking of the disc disc golf pro tour, you posted some exciting news, uh, probably maybe a month ago now, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and can you tell us, you know, kind of what that news was and in, in a little bit, or what you can share of it? So the Disc Golf Pro Tour, I got a job with the Disc Golf Pro Tour as an administrative coordinator. So what I came on the team for was essentially to help offload the tasks that everyone is super slammed with right now. Um, the Disc Golf Pro Tour started with a smaller team, and everyone was you know, loaded with a bunch of responsibilities which rightfully so like it's so it's growing so fast and these people just kept having so many things to do and so I kind of just came on the team along with a few other new um, people as well to just you know take some of the responsibility off of them so from uh, for my part I am taking responsibility off of the administrator and I'm essentially just kind of 
organizing everything you know they have so many moving parts to um even when it comes down to like the operations team that's setting up all of the you know sponsorship walls when you go to the course and you see all those flyovers with you know the bushnell walls and the whatever thunderbird bars and all that stuff like they have to go out there and set that up and you know to have organization behind all of that um, especially as things are growing and more people you know want to partner with the pro tour and more people want to be on advertisements with the pro tour people have to organize that um to stay sane (laughs) so that's uh that's kind of what i do Um, a lot of people on the on the disc golf pro tour team do a lot of different things um, a lot of people kind of integrate with different parts of the team um and so i'm still i'm still learning but it's been fun and i'm super excited because you know the pro tour is just getting bigger and growing and so i'm excited to be able to grow with them and i guess i guess now that we talk about work i mean we might as well and, and rightfully so plug that you're a realtor here locally <laughs> and this is a local podcast so yeah you know if you want to what um what so you you're your own kind of person right are you with a are you with a firm or how does that all work yeah so there's a couple of different things realtors work with brokerages and then they can also work with the team if they want so um, two parts i work for keller williams advantage my office is at the green um and then i work for or work with the steel group so I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with Kyle Steele. He's the well-known realtor in the disc golf world. Um, so I actually work on his team. So I work very closely with him. We talk all the time about different things that are coming up. So, yeah. So what's the – so we just we just bought a house, and, and luckily we just bought it from the, the person we were renting from. So we kind of escaped oh. all of the craziness going on in, yeah, in reality right now. But, I mean, it's not – you know, from everything going on, I mean, it's not easy to – to even buy a house right now, is it? It's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a few people that I'm working with, and yeah, it, it's like every time you go to put an offer in, there's at least five other offers that you're competing with. You know, it's never just like, oh, you're the only one, I'm going to take it. Like, that's unreal at this point. <laughs> um, so just think about, you know, seven to ten people putting in an offer on a property like how high are these bids going over asking price um it's pretty it's pretty interesting but i'm learning a lot um this is you know my first couple months um because i moved i moved and bought a house in december myself and we were renovating i've been licensed since since december but i didn't actually start working until like february so Mm. i've only been doing this for a couple months um, but I'm learning a lot, you know, learning the ins and outs, being able to go and experience the crazy market. But, yeah, if you want to buy or sell or you have any questions, let me know. Message me on social media. Um, you can call me. I don't know if you guys can put my phone number somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we can uh, – we can uh, – we'll link everything to uh, to your page when we post, you know, kind of the info on Facebook. Yeah, um, perfect. Yeah, we don't, we don't get the uh, – the huge traffic, but I think we're getting a little bit, getting a little bit bigger, bigger each episode. So, we'll, yeah, we'll hopefully get somebody over there to you. Um, your guys' podcasts are great. So, kind of circling back to, you know, kind of FPO and, and really women's disc golf. What do you think? You know, because like you said, even in here locally, you you see it. You know, what is kind of that driving force that is? I don't want to say keeping females away from playing competitive. 
but uh -huh. I, but I mean honestly, maybe keeping people away from you know playing competitive. So, as a a female, I feel like I can speak for a lot of the majority of the females that start playing disc golf. Um, I had mentioned in my original story of when I first started learning about disc golf, it's being shy and like being intimidated because so many men are out there playing that it's like, A, I'm a girl and I'm not going to throw nearly as far and B, I'm low-key self-conscious and I don't want to make a fool out of myself. Like, I feel like that's a lot of women actually tell me that story and it's a very relatable concept. Um, and so, first off, don't ever think about what other people are thinking of you because if you're going out there and you're having a good time, that's great for you. But at the same time, like, people in the disc golf community are so welcoming that they literally give two craps about how you're actually like looking or doing they just want you to thrive and do the best you can like that's one great thing about the disc golf community uh, especially being a female um so the next step from you know just being comfortable enough to actually play you know start um, at your local leagues or um, Stephanie Penrod locally in Dayton runs the Dayton Ladies League. You can find that information on the Dayton Disc Golf website. You can find it on Facebook. Um, that's just a, a woman's only exclusive. Like it, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. Different skill levels from, you know, new beginners, different age, age groups. Um, that's a really, really fun time on Tuesdays that I see on Facebook. <laughs> um, so, you know, just starting out there to kind of get comfortable before maybe start starting to play with like, I don't know, maybe your significant other and his guy friends or something like that. Um, but then getting competitive, it's just kind of being comfortable and, like, knowing what you're capable of. Like, don't be scared to compete because you don't think you're going to do well. Like, you're never going to know how well you're going to do until you go and do it. So, you know, I'm not trying to, like, sell PDGA memberships for people over here. <laughs> but, you know, play, play a local bid, you know, the Dayton Disc Golf Run and see how that works out and kind of get a feel for tournaments and because scoring is different when you don't score um for tournament play when you like actually start playing with that pressure it's difficult um so just just kind of like inching your way into it but not being scared to do it i guess would be like the biggest advice for women right i, gotta, I actually have a friend that's local um that he's keeps talking about getting his wife out to play and she said exact thing what you said um, uh -huh. just being shy and not wanting to make a fool of herself and sit yeah. in front of other people. It's like, just tell her to come out and throw. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know if that's kind of just like a, a comfort level thing or, I don't know. Usually, it, in those specific scenarios, like especially if it's a woman that, you know, has a significant other, like if it's a boyfriend or a husband or whatnot, it's, I personally felt most comfort when it was just like him and I you know rather than like me throwing with his group of friends right so like I'm not making a fool of myself in front of his friends I'm just doing it in front of him which is kind of like a different thing like it's better because it's not so uncomfortable um so maybe just kind of like starting out that way first um and definitely if you're ever going to get like your significant other or like a woman into disc golf at least give her like a slower disc or something that's super lightweight because the biggest error is giving her something that she can't throw in terms of stability or weight. And then she, then at that point, she is going to get discouraged because the disc isn't going to glide as far as it could if you gave her a disc that was going to work for her. So that's another, another tip. <laughs> so kind of shifting into 
you know, obviously that's kind of how to be, get beginners. Where do you see the state of FPO? As a whole or like in this area? No, as a whole, well, obviously in this area, you're kind of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, really as a whole, because I, I feel like it's getting more competitive on a week to week basis, you know, for, you know, four or five years, it was kind of just Paige. And, and now I feel like, you know, with Haley and, and Christina Allen's playing well, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of other people that really stepped their game up. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then I feel like there's going to be some young girls that are that are going to come up. And, you know, I've, I've seen a couple, like, junior stuff, but there's going to be some young girls that are coming up and throwing mm-hmm. who I think are going to challenge. So do you think, you know, obviously this is something you talk about all the time. Do you, do you kind of feel that same way? It's definitely growing. I don't – it's never going to be as big as MPO, right? Like, any women's sport is the same compared to a men's sport it's we're never going to have as many players or competitors in it but that's just the way it is um aside from that i do know that in terms of numbers for fpo ledgestone insurance open was always the biggest attended women's field it usually lingers around 40 fpo players which is a lot uh, in comparison i just played a b tier yesterday and it was just me and one other lady so it was two of us <laughs> so um if that kind of gives you any comparison um, I know this year a lot of the Disc Golf Pro Tour or bigger events are close to you know nearing 30 to 35 women, which is a lot, and it just keeps on expanding. And then, like you said, everyone is getting better because at this point there's a solid, I want to say like 15 to 20 of them are actually touring. Like they're in some kind of vehicle or they're making some schedule work to where they're out consistently. And that just makes them stronger, especially mentally, because they're competing with the best every weekend or every other weekend when they're out there. Uh, and unlike somebody like me, where I'm only making it on the big stage, you know, five out of my 30 events of the year because I work in Dayton. Um, so the competition is only getting stronger. It is getting bigger. Um, Paige Pierce just released an article on Sports Illustrated. And so, you know, disc golf is now on ESPN every every now and then. And so as disc golf is becoming more available to the general public, especially in, like, Paige Pierce's, you know, Sports Illustrated article, when people see that women are also succeeding in this sport, it's going to do nothing but draw more women to even start playing. Like, I know a lot of ultimate women that have just started playing because it's an easy, you know, adaptable skill. They already throw discs, so it's just throwing them differently. Um it's crazy. It's going to keep growing and it's going to keep getting better. Yeah. And, and I think, I think the disc golf pro tour did something great when, when, when they started coming out with their channel and subscriptions and the live coverage, mm-hmm. they moved the FPO field back. So that yeah. way you, they're getting the same, you know, where before they were teeing, you guys were teeing off earlier. Yeah. Now they moved them back and now, you know, you're getting the split coverage and then they're getting their own coverage. Yeah. You know, after you're the, so you're so observant. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they they changed that what like a year and a half. I want to say a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually big because you know it was always a running joke with the FPO players. Like we're always teeing off before the sun goes up, and we're always playing in morning dew. That was just the thing. Like you know, ever since I moved up to FPO, we're always used to our discs getting wet while we're warming up because the dew hasn't come off the grass yet. Um, but then shifting, you know, and not even being able to eat breakfast because you tee off so early to now it's like, 
well, I'm teeing off at 2 o'clock. Should I eat lunch now, or do I, like, hold off on my lunch? Like, it's, like, it's still kind of weird to get adjusted to, but it's definitely much better for the for the coverage aspect of it, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that was, for me, that was that was a good move. Yeah, you know, for sure. I, yeah, because you, you're wanting to highlight your best players. Well, you can't just highlight your feature card mm-hmm. in, in one, and then, you know, nobody's going to, I'm not going to watch it at 8 in the morning. But I'm gonna, exactly. I'm gonna watch it. You know, I'm glad they cut in and show the FPO field, and I'm glad it's still on after. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. you, a because, you know, in the, uh, in the tour championship, you know, first of all, if you had the men's come down to the final hole, and then really you had the women's come down to the last two holes. So yeah. you know, well, it went to a playoff, right? So. Um, yeah, last year it did. Yeah, so like, if if that's early, you don't get to see. That and Haley King won. So if that's early, you yeah. don't even get to see that. And so. like you said, nobody's gonna wake up at eight o'clock in the morning, or like you know, if it's on, a, especially like on a Saturday or Sunday, who's gonna wake up super early just to watch? I mean, I'm not saying some people won't, right? But majority of, like you said, it's just easier to put it on the end of MPO and have it keep going. Yeah, and I think you'll get eyes that'll stay. You know, yeah, you sure. may you may get someone that that you know that new player that's there to watch. You know, Ricky or Paul, and then all of a sudden they're seeing, you know, Christina yeah, Allen. Yeah, like, because they cut in and out of FPO originally until they, like, until MPO's done, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they're like, oh, wait a minute. You know, they're good, too. <laughs> so what kind of things, I'm kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, what kind of things can, can we do locally to promote women's disc golf? I think first and foremost, just sending any interested woman to Ladies League. Because, you know, if it's somebody that's inquiring on Facebook and you see them, or if it's a friend that's kind of talking about, like, wanting to start playing, but, you know, like you said, like, they're not comfortable. Ladies League is just a good place because it's all women, and, you know, women that... when you compare them to men, women just don't throw far. Like, I definitely don't throw as far as far. He might even double my distance. But that's just the way it is. But until you can, like, uh, until a woman sees that in action, they won't believe it, right? Because they think, oh, you're just telling me that because I'm new and I'm actually not going to throw that far. They don't know it until they actually see it. So they, when they start going to ladies' league and they see that women really only throw, like, 250 feet or maybe more, then it becomes like this eye-opening thing where it's actually fun for them because when they play on a card, nobody's out driving them. Like everyone's throwing the same distance and you're all throwing up shots from the same place. And it just becomes way more inclusive. And it's like this big mental like shift for the new female that's trying to get into the sport. And it's good. It's a positive thing for them. And so they need that like mental reinforcement um, before, so that they can build the confidence and build comfort, um, the comfort to be able to be like, oh, well, now now I'm not so shy, and now I kind of know what I'm doing, and I'm getting the hang of it. Um, even if they don't ever want to go and play, you know, a tournament, or if they don't want to go play leagues with men or something like that, they like, Ladies League is at least the place they can go to play every week. That's such a great thing that Stephanie's done, I think, for a local area. She's just picking that up and running with it. It's growing so fast. I remember, like, I want to say three or four years ago, maybe, she started it, and, like, she invited me to it, and I feel like there's, like, five to seven people that showed up regularly, 
I feel like now there's like at least 20 or 25 women that are showing up regularly and they might even bust over 30 occasionally. That's awesome. It's a lot. Yeah, it's great. And yeah. then last year, Adam Jones, I think it was, hosted a ladies only tournament at Monroe. It's cool. Well, it's going on this year, the Carnation Classic. Yeah, so every it. other yep. year, the PDGA runs a women's global event, and that's what's going on is the Carnation Classic. The women's global event is something where a woman plays in their division. So, like, I'm going to play an FPO, but I'm only playing against one other FPO in that tournament, right? So there's two of us. But the way the PDGA has it set up, it's called the women's global event because they take your ratings from the events that you played in your local area and the women's global event there's multiple events throughout the same day all around the world playing on the same day so after you're done they take the the rating average of your two rounds that you played and you get scored against everyone else in the world in that division that played wow so that's why it's called the women's global event so even though i'm only playing against one other female in my division at monroe i'm actually going to be competing against every other fpo that's playing that day and so there'll be you know a running leaderboard after round one um everyone has to play 18 holes that's just kind of the rule to keep everything fair right so you get rated on an 18 hole course and then because ratings are an average it's fair rather than doing score right so like if i played Idlewild and some other person's playing like a par three course. It's not going to be unfair. So yeah, that's fun. That's that's what's going on. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't even know. I, I knew of the Carnation Classic, but I didn't realize it was part of a global event. I think that was a, yeah. a different event that was run last year. There was Carnation Classic, but then Adam ran one last. Yeah, Adam fall. ran a different one. He just, I think he just ran one just to run one, and actually, which I mean, that's definitely not a bad thing. Um, and women definitely showed up to it. Women like women things, like, you know, Ladies League, and that was a women's only event. Same thing. They're not intimidated by men playing in the tournament. It's all just women. So that's just, like, a whole other inclusive thing. Um, but, yeah, the Carnation Classic is happening, I think it's next Saturday. It's, like, coming up. Yeah, it's, yeah. it was in May for sure. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. like, the first couple weekends in May. Yeah. So any ladies that are listening, if you're not signed up, sign up. And you don't have to be a PDGA member to play this event. Oh, just FYI. So if you're just curious and you want to go play a tournament, sign up for a Carnation Classic. So with, with FBO, you know, obviously you, you play tour events. Is it – why haven't we seen kind of that 1,000-rated round consistent? Is it is, – should it, should it be rated differently? No. No, it should not be rated differently. Okay. Um, let me make, like, a good answer. I'm trying to put my words together. <laughs> so, I think it shows a good balance, or um, that's the word I want to use. It shows a good balance. So, men, obviously, if you're 1,000 rated, that's pretty decent. Nowadays, I don't even know what the highest rated is. Is it like 1060? Is it something in, up there? Yeah, um, it's, it's up there. 1040, 1050, I think it was. Well, there's five There's five guys that there's a, they call them the 1050 Club. Um, okay. And I, and so I like want to say Ricky's like 58 like, or 60. Okay, so 1050 is like pretty elite. And then like 1000 rated is pretty good. 
and that's the same thing on the women's field. Like, 900 is pretty good, and then once you get to, like, 950, it's pretty elite. Okay. Um, so, for me, if you set different ratings for women and men, then there's not really, like, that separation of, like, what's actually different, right? So you'd have, like, a 1,000-rated woman and a 1,000-rated male. You don't get to actually see how many strokes they're off by playing the same course. So uh, for those that don't know how ratings work, um, I guess this would kind of explain. Essentially, 10 ratings points is a stroke. So Bart is 1,004 rated, I think. I'm 920 rated. So the difference in that is roughly 80 points, right? Essentially, when we play the same course with the same layout, that means Bart should beat me by eight strokes on average. So that, like, the ratings, like, lay that out in numbers. If you change the way the formula was for the FBO, to me, it would make it more discombobulated because, it, to me, it makes sense the way it is. And if you change that, then it's like, well, how would you change it anyways? Yeah, but, um, no, but don't so that, that, so when you go to a tournament, so like let's let's say you play Ottawa, you're get you're getting your rating based off of what the MPO rates, right? As long as you're playing the same layout, yes, the layout as in like tee pads. So if we're playing the same tee pads, then yes. Okay. My, so, but if, if Bart and I shoot the same score, Bart and I's rating will be the same thing on the same layout. But if you're playing well, there you play different tee pads, right? Yeah, we usually play shorts on Unwild. So then you're just rated off of what the best female shoots? Yes. Compared. So there's always a there's always a propagator. Uh, the propagator is typically like the the highest rated person in that field. So typically in the men's field, it's like a thousand. A thousand rated player is the propagator. Um, so the women's field, I guess if Paige Pierce is there, she's going to be that. Um, so essentially, if I don't even know what Paige Pierce is rated, like nine eighty. Um, or probably even I think she's like nine ninety something now. I want to say I she had a commemorative up. yeah she had a commemorative divs come out it was like I want to say she was like nine something yeah pretty hot. So anyways so okay let's just say she's nine eighty I'm pretty sure she's higher than that but for rough numbers she's nine eighty rated if anybody on that round in the FPO field shoots better than Paige their round rating is gonna be better than Paige's Paige's rating. Because that person beat the propagator. So if I shoot one stroke better than Paige, which is 980 rated, I my round rating essentially should be 990. I beat her by one stroke, which equals 10 points, which is 10 points higher than her rating. And oh. so the whole formula is skewed by the propagator. It, it's this whole like mathematical formula. If you don't understand, there's a page on the PDGA that explains it. And it's like... I could talk about ratings for days, but I'm not going to. <laughs> right. So I guess I never realized that. So, like, let's say Paige goes out and just has a terrible round. Mm-hmm. That's, do, do they take that into account? If she shoots... So if Paige has a terrible round, Paige is going to shoot under her rating. And, then, and that... then somebody like me that's 920 rated, 60 points rated, lower than her, if I have a pretty decent round or a pretty good round, my round rating should be pretty close to Paige's rating. Huh. Well, I didn't know that. Maybe I should have read that PDGA site. Yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> so then, when women, when FPO and MPO play the same layout, it's better for the women because now my propagator isn't Paige Pierce, that's 980 rated. Now my propagator is Paul McBeth, that's 950 or 960 rated. 
And so if we're playing the same layout, that means that my average is going to be better because there's so many more thousand rated men up in that field that's going to boost the average for everybody. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you want to play in and tournaments. And that's why I like the ratings the way they are. And I don't want to change it. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that makes sense. So speaking of ratings, I mean, this is a very touchy subject, I think, for just mainly amateurs. Mm -hmm. um, should the PDJ at some point look into restructuring the rating system for rating caps for divisions? <sighs> for example, you have a, a rec player that, play, that can play up to, I think it's 900 in rec. Mm -hmm. And then... Intermediate, I believe it's capped at 950. 935. I mean, that just seems kind of unbalanced in my just personal opinion. Which direction would you like change or restructure? Would you make the ratings lower so you would want the rec players to have a lower cap or yes. a higher cap? Yeah, I think it should be lower. It should balance out a little more. Rec maybe 850, throw intermediate up to 900 or so, 930 maybe. It's just kind of my opinion. It could be just complaining because of you know, people sandbagging just to play or, in my opinion, sandbagging. Um, but is there is that something that could be looked into in the future for balancing the field out a little more? I feel like that is something that could be looked into, but I feel like no matter how you restructure it, the word sandbag is still going still gonna to exist. Because then at that point, you're just changing the number, the value of what that number is. And people are still going to be complaining that somebody that's at the top of their, you know, right? So if you change rec to 850 and somebody that's 849 still playing rec, you're still going to call them a sandbagger. Are you not? Possibly. I could see that, yeah. So I feel like you're just changing the number at that point. Um but in my opinion, I think a sub-850 player, and that, that right now is currently the novice cap, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. That, to me, I think would be a true rec player. Especially if you don't have any wins in your division. So so around here, yeah, around here, it affects. So here's what's interesting is I looked at, uh, what was the last tournament? The big one in Eureka. Um, Dynamic Disc Open. So I was looking at kind of the Amfield, um, mm -hmm. and in, in the rec division, the guy was nine eighty or eight eight ninety eight. The guy who won it, and he shot his rounds were nine nine ninety, like nine seventy, and then like nine eighty. <laughs> so I was like, but he played his rating. No, 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 no. He was no, no. He was. I'm sorry. He was eight ninety eight. Right, and he no, shot. No, but I mean, like his his eight ninety eight. You said a rec player, right? Yeah. And the rec cap is what nine hundred. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. He played his rating. He played where oh, yeah, his yeah, rating yeah. let him play. He just happened to shoot hot. Right. Well, and, and that's kind of my point, though. Like, I don't think the the rating system truly shows your skill, because no, technically, I can go out and play novice division as an oh, eight, yeah, your, your eight fifteen rating. But I feel like my skill is higher than that. In some courses. <laughs> Not Germantown. Roy, Roy beats me all the time there. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, I remember like talking about that as an am 
and I don't know I feel like I'm gonna get some like shade for saying this but I feel like if you're complaining about it you just need to get better no, and that's a fair point. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to complain about it. It's just kind of a yeah, thought yeah. that is, is there a way to restructure it to balance the amateur field out? I feel like, honestly, the novice division isn't utilized as much as it should be because a lot of people, novice, I feel like, actually just became this thing because when I first started playing and I was looking at the men's fields, people like novice wasn't a thing. Like, it existed, but nobody used it, is what I'm saying. Right. So, like, as an immediate, like, newbie, you were going in playing rep, and then you were getting stomped on, and then complaining about, you know, this person winning, because you were brand new, so then that's kind of where novice comes in, um, I could see them restructuring it, I feel like it wouldn't be by a lot, maybe, you know, 20, 30 ratings points, um, just, just because the, because the field is getting, disc golf itself is growing so fast, and so now there's more people, um, and, more people are wanting to be competitive, so I could see I could see them changing it a little bit. I don't know that it's going to change that much. Um, I I think that it should just be this progressive thing where you start in novice and you know play until you win novice, and then play in rec and play until you win rec, or however your aspirations fall out. I believe, but I don't know. I always tell people to play their rating and to do your best. And that's totally fair. So, yeah. so with that, the growth of the sport, what, what would you do as a, as a TD with, with this many people trying to get in and, and ha- I mean, having to get into a tournament in, you know, a minute? Or, Boy. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to preface this with, I've never TD'd an event, and I have utmost respect for the tournament director. So, like, anything that I say isn't in any way to bash anyone or, like, to say you're doing something wrong. I feel like if if I had more, I guess, education on, like, how the, these things are ran, I would just try to add different courses. And people are kind of tacking on to that. So, originally, before, like, you know, you have Gem City, which a tournament is ran one day at Belmont. One day at Belmont with a shotgun start only holds X amount of people. It's however many, you know, four people on a hole or five people on a hole, right? It's capped out once you have maxed out the, the course. So, one, two things. One, you can add tee times, and so that actually, like, maximizes more people that can play, right? Because now, instead of having X amount of people shotgun starting, you can filter through way more people throughout a whole day's worth of tee times. Or, and or adding, you know, a second course to be able to double the amount of people that are playing or maybe another one to triple. And some people are catching on to this. I see some B tiers that I, that used to be one course shotgun turning into this thing that's now like three or four courses. And, you know, AMs will play different courses than the pros or whatnot because, you know, the bigger the field, the bigger the courses, you know, more people can be held. Um, so I don't know, that's like the only solution I have. Like, I don't know what else could be done. It's just insane how fast these things are filling up. Yeah, I know at the I know at the vid the other weekend they added to Sycamore. I think like three or four holes. Mm-hmm. Or they played twenty four. Yeah, so they added Ooh. they added four. Kind of maneuvered the course around that. And I bet you that didn't even take everybody off the wait list. Like I feel like they accommodated, and there are still probably people on the wait list. 
Yeah, and it filled up quick. I mean, that. so last year, what's funny is last year the bids didn't even fill up. I mean, you could get yeah. over the bids until whenever. Now, if you don't and, sign up for the bid in, like, the first, you know, couple of days, it's done. Yeah. I don't know. There's, like, there's, a, there's two ways to look at it. Like, you either need to be cl- quick to click a button, which is kind of unfair because you maybe you have slow internet or you're not in a place where you kind of have internet. Who knows? Um, but also, the other way to look at it is tiered registration. So, like, for bigger Pro Tour events, they have tiered registration, which is by your rating. Um, so, you know, they'll start out with opening to the highest rated people and then trickle their way down. But then at that point, it's unfair for, you know, people like, I don't know, rec players or, you know, n- new people that are trying to play and start playing tournaments. Now you're, like, kind of pushing them out because you're starting your registration with the highest rated people. Right. And so by the time, you know, the tournament could be filled and your rec division might not be filled or, you know, something like that. I don't know. It's a double-edged sword, I feel like. Well, rec's like the biggest division at most tournaments now. I mean, yeah, obviously, they, all these new people are just yeah. playing tournaments. Hey, there, were, playing. there were 67 people as, in wreck at Caesars Ford this weekend. Holy moly. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. That's a good amount of people. That's, that's, yeah. I think that's the biggest that's awesome. wreck that I've ever seen. As far as a local event, at least. Yeah, for sure. No, usually they're like pretty spread out, like 20 in advance, 20 in intermediate. That's a lot. That's awesome. Oh, here's a here's a good question for someone on the inside. Would you restructure payouts and pay out less of the field, but pay more money to the top players? No. Why? I say that thinking of myself. Okay. So in terms of okay, so this kind of comes out of the realm of like local events, but more like in the higher caliber, which still most pay out 40%, which that's across the board, no matter what event you're at. Right. Your top 40% is getting paid out. Um, to me, disc golf isn't big enough yet to where you can just kind of like pay top heavy. You want to be able to reward those people, in my opinion, to be able to grow the sport. You want to reward the people that are like not winning all the time, but that are also still doing well enough. You know what I mean? Gives them something to travel on to. Exactly, yeah. So, like, if there's 10 people and you take four, like, okay, you're still getting paid your last cash, but you also didn't win. So, like, you're still getting compensated something. And it just kind of, like, I I feel like it helps people from being so discouraged, especially the fact that, like, the cash or merch that you're getting isn't even a lot. Like, nothing that you're winning, unless you're in the top, top caliber of the sport, is life-changing. So, especially for it being a hobby or, like, something fun that you like to do with, like, a group of friends that travel, it, it kind of, like, keeps you going, and it keeps the, the sport growing, honestly. I think that if you cut, cut that bottom, you know, tier of cash off to beat it to the top players, I think that the sport wouldn't be growing so fast. So, so even at, like, the top level, so, like, let's just say the Disc Golf Pro Tour events, where, you know, obviously there's more kind of added cash and, and those mm-hmm. are the, the top tier so mm-hmm. the, so the argument i heard one time was you know that second or third or, or you know between like fourth and fifth place it's really not that much difference in money mm-hmm. so like that putt may not matter as much but if if you have to make that putt or you're going to lose like five hundred dollars mm-hmm. so now that putt for fourth place is a big putt mm-hmm. so i mean there that was the argument that i heard about so, you're right.
right in terms of like I want to say maybe like top ten to top twenty MPO players in like a big field like that. The top about the top twenty have a big difference in payout. Like you know, like you just said, fourth and fifth place might be a difference of like five hundred or a thousand dollars or something like that. So that's actually pretty big. Once you start trickling down into like fortieth out of two hundred, that's when like fortieth and forty first might be you know. 50 bucks or something uh, but I still hold I still stand to my original answer of it shouldn't change because now you have more people that are moving up from being an amateur to try to play pro now you have more people that are trying to get bands and to actually tour full time and that's where I said I come into play so you know I took 15th at Jonesboro and still cashed and that like not that I'm discouraged if I didn't cash, <laughs> but, but like to someone that's just trying to, you know, me in my rookie year, you know, if the payout was top heavy, I wouldn't have gotten paid out as much as I did my rookie year. So like somebody that's trying to get going, but also not at the top, still the same thing. You're still being able to reward them and give them something. And still, it's not life changing. It's not a life changing amount of money, but enough to just kind of like give you some validation. Yeah, no, I, I think I think I definitely err on your side um, to where the sport is not there. So, mm-hmm. you know, like your 15th at Jonesboro, you may not have got paid a lot, but it helped pay for your gas or hotel room. Right. So it now you may get to travel somewhere else. Right. Right. Yeah. So we've been at it for an hour, and we're going to let you go to bed because it's late. <laughs> um, this will air, just so everybody knows, um, this will this will get published tomorrow. So yes, all the information about your clinic and everything will be on there. That's cool. Yeah, and we'll make sure when Mark posts this that he, he tags you and and kind of all that good stuff. So, Christine, thank you so much for real. Um, you know, I know you're very busy, um, so I can't thank you enough for being on here. Oh, thanks for having me. It's awesome to to be on a, a local podcast. <laughs> I just have one quick memory, and this is like my greatest memory of um, anything related with you at all um, 2018 we played Echo Valley Open and I shot a 78 on the first round and I was real bummed about it I was towards the bottom I think I was actually the, the very last place in wreck at that point um, got stuck on a card with you not stuck in a bad way but <laughs> it was it was you, Tabitha, Ashley, and then I can't remember the other guy's name that was on our card. And I came out with a different mentality, just tried to play smarter, and shot a 68. Yeah. You shot a 64, and I was like, man, I could have beat Christine for once. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> it, it was just a great memory because just knowing that I'm on a card with someone that's on your level and being able to see that shot after shot after shot yeah. Uh, it just kind of be like, there's potential that I can oh, do better, but. Yeah. And that was in 2018. That was a while ago. In, that was. In terms of, like, my disc golf career. <laughs> that was my first year of playing tournaments. Oh, wow. That's crazy. So. That's so cool. Yeah, I told Mark a couple episodes ago at Gym City after round one, I was beating you by two. <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then I, and I was pretty excited, but then I lost by four after round two, so. There was oh, that. No. <laughs> no, I lost by four. Just keeps you going. <laughs> you beat you beat me by four in round two, so then I was like, I wasn't as happy. 
I'll, I'll refrain from Gem City last year. Well, anyway, Christine, it's, it's been a pleasure to have you on, and um, this will be uploaded tomorrow. Go live. So, okay. I really appreciate your time. And well, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. All right, thanks, Christine. Thank you.